He don't know me very well, do he? Uh, I, I have, it's a hereditary disease. It's called CRS. Can't remember stuff. <laughs> and, you know, I look out here today and I'm, I'm troubled simply because there was a day when I went out to preacher's fellowships, I was the kid. And I don't see anybody in here. Brother Carroll, you might be the exception. You might be close to my age. Are you 64 yet? Not talking. Uh-huh. In other words, he's older than I am. I will be the old man. Amen. And uh, I, I tell you, I've been taking a lot of abuse this morning already, uh, this last couple of weeks. My wife recently uh, had to go back to Indiana and stay with her mother. Uh, she's my favorite mother-in-law. And uh, she's 81, and she took a fall several months ago and broke her leg from her, on her left leg from her uh, ball and socket down to her knee, and they had to put a pin in there. It's about a half-inch diameter and put her back together. And uh, she had to have somebody with her 24-7. Well, Vicky's got three younger brothers, but they all have to work and have families. They can't be there all the time. So we volunteered Vicky to go stay with Mom. And uh, she was there over our 43rd anniversary, which I took a couple of days. The church said, you've got to go take your wife out to eat. So I did. And uh, at any rate, uh, I don't understand it. When we got close to the time here a week ago to go pick her up, a little over a week ago now, all the ladies of the church thank you Jesus he felt sorry for you because if I don't watch my notes you're going to be here a while Uh, all the ladies told me when you go to get her don't come back without her and they all said the same thing maybe you won't be so grouchy when she gets back I don't get it. Um, I know the men prefer the way she writes my sermons better than I do. So, talk about your assistant pastor, brother. There you go. But uh, and then brother Angel today, he was thinking this lights out was a blessing of the Lord. That way you wouldn't have to look at me. And uh, anyway, well, this is a little bit of a different type of a message for me. I thought brother McMurtry is a little bit nuts asking me to preach. And to do this, this is going to be more teaching than preaching. And uh, he asked me to teach on church restoration. I didn't know I was in that ministry until it was too late. And uh, I say that not jestingly, but you go where the Lord wants you to go, you do what the Lord wants you to do. Amen. Take your Bibles, if you will, and out of respect for it, let's stand for just a moment. Revelation chapter 3. say, what in the world is in the Bible about church restoration? Well, I'm going to try and squeak something out here for you. Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 3. The Bible says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Father, I come before the throne of grace in Jesus' name today. Lord, you know my frame. We're we're weak today, just getting over all this crud everybody's getting. and Father, we're feeling fine. It's just our throat isn't as up to snuff as it should be. So please give me clarity of voice. Help me to say what you'd have me to say, Lord, as we try to teach something today that might be a help to our pastor friends and, Lord, especially to the young men today. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. And be seated, please. (coughs) When the Lord revealed His calling to me to become a pastor... For one thing, I fought it for two years. I believe every man of God is called from his mother's womb. I don't think God reveals it to us until he's ready for us. And when he revealed it to me, I thought God was crazy. I I still think he could have done better. But he did say you're going to be a pastor. He didn't say you're going to be a preacher of some kind. He said you're going to be a pastor. I've always known that. 
And when he revealed his calling to me to become a pastor, I had every intention of either starting a church from scratch or taking an existing church and staying there all my life. That was my heart's desire. But may I say I found out later that that was my will for my life. The Lord had other plans for me. Stay with me a little bit. I think you'll see the difference between a church hopping preacher and a church restorer. There is a difference. I want to just illustrate real quickly. first church I took, I'll say this at the outset, there's never been a time I filled out a resume or sought a church. Never once. It's always come to me. I've always gone through the open doors until the Lord's either opened it all the way or closed it. I just felt that was how I was supposed to be. Uh, before I was out of Bible college, I had the first church. Matter of fact, I was kind of surprised he's not here. Brother Ryan Rawhouse over at Victory Hill Baptist Church. That was my first church, and I was that church's second pastor. And uh, there were ten people left there. I took the church, being young and right out of college. They came and asked me if I'd be their pastor, not if I'd candidate. See, I'd already preached there about a half a dozen times for the former preacher as he went off to different Bible conferences and so on while I was still in in college. <laughs> I took that church. I learned a lot of things when I got into the ministry. And every, every seasoned preacher here will tell you the same thing. Uh, chuck your Bible college notes. Your education's about to begin when you get your first church. In this church of Stager, there were ten people there. The church was absolutely loaded with unknown debt people had no idea the pastor's former pastor's wife was the church treasurer and she passed away two years before I took the church and he knew nothing of books he had one man that was his deacon that was the treasurer and he was illiterate literally all he could do is sign his name to checks and uh, I think I quit that church about six times a day for the first three months I was there and uh, we, I told him when I took the church, right after I'd accepted the church, I said, I want all the financial information you got. I want to know where we're at. And he and the deacon brought me several big boxes, oh, four or five boxes, and sat them on the table and said, here they are. Come to find out they hadn't balanced a checkbook in the two years that mom had been gone, his wife. So I had to go back from the beginning of that two-year period and balance out the checkbook all the way down. It took me six months, Brother Tom, before I finally got the finances in order and went through those boxes. I found out the church had a debt for $550 they hadn't paid on in three years. They had another one for $700 and some dollars they hadn't paid on. They just quit paying. They had another for $1,500 they didn't pay on and on and on and on it went. And I saw nowhere where the debts had been retired, where they'd been paid so I called everybody that was there and they said oh yeah that's just a bad debt they quit quit paying it so we wrote it off and every one of them I asked them I said would you please put us back on the rolls and start sending me bills I said we're going to pay these debts you know what if you're going to if you're going to if you're going to bring something back from the dead you better make sure you restore your reputation and uh, my tenure there was only three years I'm going to get the cart just ahead of the horse a little bit. At the end of the three years, we were running probably 80-plus and at least 40 on Wednesday nights which and 60 on Sunday nights. So that wasn't too bad there. Um, next church I took, Rome City, Indiana. Five people in a rented pole building. And boy, that was fun. Seven and a half years, we were running about 80 to 90 people. We had bought a church building, an old Methodist church building out in the middle of nowhere, out in the country, beautiful setting. Paid $10,000 for it, and the furniture inside of it was worth more than we paid for the whole property. And over the course of time, we completely remodeled that building and recited it, insulated it, did everything we could to fix that old building made in 1896. Fixed that thing up. It's just a beautiful old building. And uh, we'll we'll talk more about some of this in a little bit. Third Church, Hammond, Indiana, 50 to 60 people there at the time. Beautiful building, but there was a wolf amongst the flock that uh, I didn't see it coming. <clears throat> and he took the church from me. 
And the church never did do anything from that time forward, and it still isn't. Uh, it will never grow because that was just something that I'd never expected. You just don't expect that kind of thing. Then we went up after Hammond. I mean, it really took a toll on us. We went up to Hartford, Wisconsin, and stayed with some friends up there in Hartford for 14 months. Took a little sabbatical. Word got out in Wisconsin that there was a preacher without a pulpit, and there were, oh, mercy. You, you cannot imagine the churches out there that have no pastors that can't get them. And so I started filling pulpits. Almost every place I went, almost every place I went wanted me to candidate or take the churches, which I did not. A lot of them were American Baptist churches I didn't know before I got there, and I certainly wasn't going to take one of those unless they were willing to pull out for the right reasons. Some of them were, but I just didn't feel led of the Lord to take them. Long story even longer, one of the churches I preached at, well, I'm not going to lie to you. Uh, One of the churches I preached at was up by Spooner, Wisconsin. It was actually Sorona, but when I say Sorona, everybody says, where's that? Up by Spooner and Hayward, up in God's country. Amen. Five minutes in any direction from my front door was the best fishing in Wisconsin. <laughs> Hunting deer out the backyard, you know, bear in the yard, wolves, a whole bit. I loved it. My wife, not so much. <laughs> Didn't like being home alone for some reason. But at any rate, we took that church with about 20 people and we closed it. Long Lake Baptist Church. And uh, we closed that church after three years. Oh no, man, they just let anybody. Miss Alice, what'd you bring him for? Hi, Brother Bill. We closed that church. I might say more about that in a little bit. And we started one from scratch. Sent out of the Birch Street Baptist Church in, in uh, Eau Claire, Wisconsin. Started it scripturally. It wasn't a split. It was a literal church plant. And then after that, we're at hopefully the, first, the fifth and the last church, and that's here in Baileyville, Illinois. They had about 15, maybe 20 at the max in attendance at the time. Now, we're not setting the world on fire, but if we have everybody there and healthy at the same time, we could run about 45 right now. The church was well established. It's always been a Baptist church. It's 148 years old this year. Matter of fact, this last month. And um, it's one of the probably one of the best churches I've ever pastored. Not that it's without problems, but one of the finest group of people I've ever known. Now you can tell them I said that, Sarah. All right. I told her she's not to go back and tell my secrets. As I said, I never sent a resume. I never applied for a job in any of these churches. I never required a set package for my salary and so on. What I'd like to give to preachers today, you cannot get in a Bible college that I know of. And as I said, when you graduate Bible college, hang your paper on the wall. Forget college because your real education begins with your first group of people. Now, if you're going to attempt to restore a church that's faltering, then there are a lot of things that I've learned the hard way that I wished I knew before launching out into the restoration ministry. Now, as I said, this was God's will, not my will. I wanted to go to one church, stay there all my life, or start one from scratch and stay there all my life. just didn't happen that way. As a matter of fact, our son Doug, when he was called into the ministry, <coughs> I told him, I said, Son, get yourself a good woman, get married, Start your family. Find a good man of God somewhere. Work under his wing. But he found Stedman instead. <laughs> and uh, how long did he work for you, Brother Bill? Four years. Four years. Four years. And he learned a lot. I got to say, Brother Stedman worked him like a horse, and he taught him a lot. And I appreciate that. I really do, Brother. You've been a big part of his ministry down there. He was called to a church in Linton, Indiana, that was running a hundred and. 50, 160, something like that. He's running about 225 now. Tremendous radio program down there. They just bought another radio uh, tower down in Vincennes, Indiana. Uh, matter of fact, they're getting ready to start their share He has a huge camp meeting every year. Just a tremendous, tremendous church. Doug was scared to death. He was afraid to go into the ministry because he was afraid that he was going to have a ministry like his dad's. And mom and dad had to sit him down and tell him, look, you're your own man of God. God has His will for your life. 
just like He had His will for my life. What He calls me to do is not necessarily what you're going to do. And praise the Lord, He's been there, what, eight, nine years now, somewhere's in there. And unless they run Him out of town, it looks like they're stuck with Him for a long time. Um, I will say this. Right from the very beginning, my heart always broke for those small churches out there in rural America and and even in the cities that couldn't get a pastor. Almost every church, apart from the first one that I took, they came right straight to me. But apart from that, every other church that I took said that they'd been trying to get a pastor and nobody would come because you couldn't take care of them. You know, if if you can't pay my salary and my housing and yada, 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 I can't come. Whatever happened to the heart of a pastor? But my heart always broke for these people, and I thought, you know, they deserve to have somebody come in, a shepherd to to lead them and to do something with them. First of all, let me say to all of you preachers, you older preachers already know what I'm about to say is true. You younger preachers, take heed. If you don't love the Lord Jesus Christ as you should... If you don't love the people with a pastor's heart, if you don't have the height of a rhinoceros and the heart of a dove, get out of the ministry now. You won't survive, and you'll probably cause others to fall with you. When God calls you, He'll equip you. Now, I'm not going to insult your intelligence today by telling you the importance of prayer, personal time with the Lord, or any of those other very important issues we could discuss at this time. And by the way, if you haven't got those things down by now, you probably never will. I want to give you some practical advice today on how to bring back a dying church. You know, it's tough enough in these last days, whether you pastor a large church or a smaller church, to get God's people to live a holy life before God, let alone win folks to the Lord Jesus Christ. I was just talking to Dr. Larry Clayton on the phone yesterday. He called me. He was going back home to Ohio from a church uh, that he was preaching at in uh in Iowa, and if you don't know Brother Larry Clayton, he and his wife and uh, two sons and daughter lived on the road literally. They'd go into an area that didn't have a Baptist church. They did this all their life. Set up a tent. He had his own tent. They'd find a property that they'd let him put the tent up on, and they'd go into that area and knock doors, win people to Christ, invite them to come to church, and they'd start churches. They'd leave that tent up for maybe a year. They'd get a church going, they'd find a building, they'd get the building, get the funds for it, stay there long enough to get a church going, and then they'd bring in a pastor and instill a pastor, and then they'd move on. He's planted churches all over the United States, yea, all over the world, actually. Brother Clayton just told me he'll be 80 years old his next birthday. And uh, we were talking, and he said, Brother Castle, he said, we're not in the same America we used to be in. And he said, it is getting harder and harder. All the churches I go to anymore, he said, God's people just don't want to live for God. That's the bottom line. You know, John Hanks told me that back in 1984. I was a frustrated young preacher at that time. He said, Brother Castle, the bottom line is God's people just don't want to live for God. I understand more fully today than I did when I got saved some, well, 1972, however long ago that was, too long what the Lord Jesus was talking about when He said, When the Son of Man cometh, shall He find faith on the earth. (coughs) Fellas, do you realize we have 300 million people in America today? And do you realize out of all the churches that call themselves Christian, only 17.7% are Christian? We have become the biggest mission field in the world right now. That's why I jump at the opportunity to support these young fellows starting churches in our homeland. We need it, brother. We need it. If you don't know what you're getting into before you try to bring back life from the dead, you're going to wind up a casualty in the battle. And you could well lose your wife and your children if you're not prepared for what's ahead. Brother Angel's going to preach on church planting, and I'm looking forward to that. I planted one, and and it's not a joke when I said it's easier to give birth than it is to bring back the dead from bring back those from the dead. It's much easier. Um, 
I have seen areas and churches, now some of you may disagree with me, and that's okay, you have a right to be wrong. I have seen areas and churches that God has written Ichabod over. When I pastored in Rome City, I tried to help three different preachers start a church in my hometown of Goshen, Indiana. When I was a kid growing up, it's a Bible Belt area. There's a huge Goshen College. There's a huge Mennonite College. Very strong Mennonite influence. There was a huge American Baptist Church in town. And uh, First Baptist Church in Goshen, and that's where all the affluent went. If you wore the latest Hart, Schaffner, and Mark suits, you were welcomed. And if you bought something at Kohl's, you probably weren't. But uh, there was, at that time, the population of Goshen wasn't even 10,000, I don't think. I'm scared to think of what it is now, probably 30, 35. There were no less than 26 churches, Christian churches, in the city limits. And I don't know how many in the outlying areas, a ton of them. And not one time in all the years growing up there did I ever have anybody come to the door and knock on our door. I take that back. One time somebody from the Methodist church came because us kids went to the Methodist church when we were little. Mom and Dad didn't, but we did. And he came and wanted to talk to Dad about making out a pledge and they just come and get it every week. He wasn't worried about his soul. He wasn't worried about him going to church. He wanted his pledge. I have told three different fellows, you'll never start a church in this town. They thought I was crazy. The preachers that they were associated with says, oh, no, you'll start a church in that town. I'm going to tell you, you go to Goshen, Indiana right now, not one of them is there, and they won't go back. It just doesn't happen there. People are so spiritual already. You know, the Lord doesn't need to... He doesn't call the righteous. He calls the lost. And brother, if you can't get them lost, you ain't going to get them saved. That was one of the reasons I went to Rome City, Indiana. Everybody says, oh man, you'll never grow a church there. I said, why not? Oh man, that place is wicked. It's just ungodly. I said, that's where we'll grow one. Don't have to twist their arm to tell them they're wicked and ungodly and lost, brother. They know it. And you are not going to bring them to Christ until they first realize that they are lost. It ain't going to happen. You want to be very careful that you don't wind up in one of these churches or areas because your zeal, because of your zeal to get to work. Don't don't take a church just because you want to get to work. You know, young preachers are dumb. You know, when I was a young preacher, I was I was 30, 30 years old when I got out of college, thirty one, something like that. And I thought if I didn't hurry up and get into a pulpit ministry somewhere, the whole world was going to hell in a handbasket. I'm going to go into that pulpit and I'm going to set those people straight with the Word of God. didn't make any difference. Probably 15, 20 people before me tried that same thing. But what a shock when you get there and find out they didn't all sit there waiting on the world's greatest preacher. I want to give you some things that I've learned that may help you in church restoration. Some of you, most of you guys are not in that ministry, but you may know somebody that will be one day. You may know somebody that is struggling with it, even now. First of all, I always worked a secular job while I tried to restore a church. And after having spent my life doing that, I'm here to tell you, don't do that. See if you can solicit support as a missionary, as a home missionary. Why in the world would I do that? So you got time to work on the church? You know what, when you work 10, 12 hour days, and half the time you work Saturdays, one thing you don't feel like when you go home from work is winning the world to Jesus. You barely have enough energy left to try and scrape up a message for Sunday. You, you need to try and be full time as quick as you can, and uh, you know, just whatever it takes to get you full time. Remember now, Jesus said, Thou hast a name that thou livest and art dead. But now wait a minute. He said, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. So it's not totally dead yet. Solicit that support. Now I know it's hard today, especially today. Even our young church planners are finding it difficult to find enough churches to support them. But you need to try. 
And pastors need to be sensitive to that type of a ministry. Secondly, always investigate the church before taking it. What do I mean by that? If you're thinking about taking a church in a restoration ministry, one of the things you need to do right away is visit surrounding neighborhoods and find out about the church's reputation and listen to what people are saying. May I tell you those churches need restored for a reason? It, it could be bad pastors. I've seen a lot of that. It could be people that don't want to follow. Old Dr. J. Arnold Fair told me years ago, he said, Brother Castle, it takes two things for any church to be a success. Number one, it takes a man of God that's willing to be a strong leader. But secondly, it also takes a people that are willing to follow that man of God. Brother, you can be the greatest leader in the world. I don't care what your name is. If you don't have a people that are willing to follow you, you're going nowhere. It takes both. You need to visit and see what's going on. You know, after I've taken that first church and after I've taken another church, I have people say, Preacher, after I got to know them, Preacher, I'd go to your church, but as long as so-and-so is in that church, I'll never set foot in that door. See, there's a reason why these churches falter. And every one of those that have said that about so-and-so were right, dead on. Old Doc Schulte used to say, the man that meets you at the train wants to see you to the bus, and those are usually the ones that do it. Matter of fact, Baileyville's the only church I ever took that I haven't had that problem yet. I've been there six years, so I think I'm safe. Uh, Although they were boiling some tar the other day out back. You need to find out what that church's reputation is. You need, to, you need to look at that church's bylaws and constitution. Where are they on the King James? And where are they, are they on standards and so on and so forth? Where are they on their relationship to the pastor? When I preached in Wisconsin, man, everybody wanted, they were so desperate for preachers, they didn't want me to candidate, they just wanted me to be their preacher. And I, I told one lady, I said, I am not going to be your pastor. I was scheduled to preach there. I went to this church in Plainfield, Wisconsin. Walked in, somebody come up, shook my hand. I said, I'm scheduled to preach here today. Who do I see? Well, the deaconess will be upstairs in a moment. And while I was waiting on the deaconess, the old lady that met me said, Preacher, let me show you our bylaws and our church history. She was so proud of that church history. That was one of my points, too. Look at the average longevity of the previous pastors. I looked at the church history, and the average stay of the average pastor in that church was one to two years, just under two years. The one that stayed the longest was seven years, and she had to quit because she got pregnant. (laughs) You'd be amazed at what's out there, fellas. I I was preaching in one church up in, in Wisconsin, up by Wausau. I told the fellow, he said he wanted me to candidate. I said, I will not candidate at your church. I knew it wasn't my kind of Baptist church to begin with, but I always like the opportunity to preach and try and set somebody straight anyway. And this was in the wintertime. I said, I'm not candidating. Okay, would you just come fill the pulpit? I said, I'll come fill your pulpit. Went up there. Vicki and I got there early, as was our custom, whenever we preached in the church up there. Sat outside, prayed over the building, prayed over the people, and prayed for God to do a work. Some fella shows up to shovel the walks. Pretty soon we get out to go inside. When he unlocked the door, he came up to meet us. He was a trustee in that church. His testimony was, well, I grew up Catholic. I was a devout Catholic. And he said, these people kept coming to my door, inviting me to come to their monthly dinner, and I didn't want anything to do with them. They're Baptist, and I'm Catholic. And he said, I'm not going. And he said, I refused so many times. He said, finally one day, he said, you know what? I'm missing the boat here. I could have a free meal. And I don't have to go to that church. So he said, I went back to that church. One time they asked me to come. I went and I spent time with them at the meal. And the meal was so good that he said, I just never left. That was his testimony of salvation. They made him a trustee. I got up in the pulpit that morning. There was probably 50, 60 people there. Got up in the pulpit that morning, sitting in a chair, and the 
demon is up here <laughs> demonizing like whatever demons do. And, and, and he said, Brother Castle has come to candidate today. At any rate, he turned the pulpit over to me and I said, look, bub, I said, I told you I'm not going to candidate, but since you opened the can of worms, I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to candidate today. And I don't know what it was I was supposed to preach, but it wasn't what I preached. (laughs) I unloaded the truck. And then we were going to have a question and answer time at the meal down in the basement. Now, fellas... Does this look like a malnourished Baptist? I usually tell people I'm anorexic. I just hide it well. But the bottom line is, Baptist ladies can cook. We went downstairs for the meal, and I don't know why they call themselves Baptist because everything I ate tasted like it should have went straight into the garbage can. I never had such a poor meal in my life. That was the lousiest food, and everybody's just gobbling it up, thinking it's great. And I'm thinking, is there something wrong with my taste buds? And my wife, I noticed, wasn't eating much either. We got done. We're going to have question and answer time. Now, out of that 50, 60 people, somewhere's in there, I didn't know who was members and who wasn't, but over half of them weren't. But they had their say. We'd have question and answer time. They'd ask me questions. I'd ask them questions. One lady who wasn't even a member of the church said... Uh, uh, Pastor Castle, she said, uh, our church does some things a little differently than most churches at Lent. And she says, uh, at Lent, we cooperate with the other churches in the area. She said, our pastor will go to the Lutheran church and fill their pulpit while the Lutheran preacher goes to the Presbyterian church and fills their pulpit and the Presbyterian preacher goes to the uh, Catholic church and fills their pulpit and the Catholic priest comes here and fills this pulpit. Do you have a problem with that? I said, number one, if I'm your pastor, the pulpit is mine. You have no business doing anything with it. Number two, I be Baptist by the book. I don't believe in Lent. Number three, the Bible says we're not to be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. And I said, no, I would not allow that. And we went right on down the line with good stuff like that. Well, I got a call the next day. My wife took the call. I was working. And uh, they said, well, we decided to call a more liberal pastor. Just hurt my feelings terribly. (laughs) What I'm saying, fellas, is I could tell you stories like that all day long. But listen, I'm trying to tell you, you have to investigate that church before you decide you're going to take it. You don't know what you're getting into. Um, Long Lake Baptist Church that I took up in Sorona, Wisconsin. Church has been there 44 years, never had more than 25 people in attendance. It was a GRBC church. I filled the pulpit there for several months. They kept telling me, God told us you're the man for this church. I said, well, when he tells me, I'll come. And it took about three months, but eventually God said, I want you to take that church. They called me up again. I said, you willing to come out of GRBC? They said, done. We'll do it. They pulled out. So I said, all right, we'll come up. Now what I did not know at that time, and they didn't have record on paper for me to look at, was that there was one old couple in that church. There was probably, how many was in that church? Twenty, About 20, 25 at that time. At any rate, they said... Uh, um, I found out there's one old couple in that church that when they got tired of the preacher, they'd, they'd take him a letter of, of uh, dismissal and they'd just go over to his house and they'd tell him, you're done. No church vote, no nothing. They'd just go tell him he's done. And the church okayed it because they didn't want to fight with him. I met one of the former pastors that they'd just done that to. Wonderful young man. Man of God. Nothing wrong with him. He just preached the book. I took that church and for about three years everything went well. I heard that they didn't like my preaching on tithing and giving. I said that's because they're not tithing and giving. <laughs> Amen. You got somebody that's tithing, they don't care if you preach on till the cows come home. They're not going to be under conviction, they're doing what's right. Long story short, they couldn't run the old man off, but they started backbiting, there was a bad spirit in the church. I said, Okay, we'll just fix that. I came up here to grow a church. I didn't come up here to have some old goat run me off. Amen. 
So, I went to every family in the church, except for that couple. And I told them, I said, I didn't come here to fuss and fight and cause a bad spirit in the church. I'm not causing it. We all know who is, but I'm not putting up with it. And uh, I'm resigning the church Sunday morning. But I'm not leaving. Now, you've been in this church. Most of them have been there 20, 30 years or more. This is your church. If you want to stay, you stay. But I'm leaving, and I'm starting a church from scratch. Every one of them said, you go, we go with you. We've had enough of this. Thus, the Northwoods Baptist Church was born out of the Birch Street Baptist Church in Eau Claire, Illinois, or Wisconsin. Been here too long. The old man got the church back. The following Wednesday was the annual business meeting. The people said, well, what do we do? I said, first thing you do is write a letter of resignation. Now, there was no debt at the church or anything like that, but I said, that way nobody can come back on you legally for anything at the church if you resign the church. Just have your business meeting Wednesday night. I told the treasurer, I said, Miss Gloria, you just give your treasury report, walk up to the front Lord's table, lay it down on the front of the Lord's table, lay your letter down, everybody just get up one at a time, come up, lay your letter down, and just say, I've resigned the church, and walk out. And they were the only two left sitting. Long story short, how many of you know who Larry the Cable Guy is? Come on, admit your sin. All right. Get her done. His mother-in-law bought it and had it changed over into how Larry the Cable Guy lives on Long Lake. He's got two houses on Long Lake. That's where he's, he's not a southerner. He's from Wisconsin. Yeah. And uh, his mother-in-law, Grandma West, bought that. They're big potato farmers up there. Wisconsin russets mostly come from their farms. And they converted it into a house. We started a house. My first pulpit in the Northwoods Baptist Church was my wife's portable dishwasher. And we crammed about 17, 18 people into that little 25 by 40 cabin. And we started church. Long story short, God gave us a building. God gave us five acres. gave it to us. And I've got a young man in there right now by the name of Adam Dunshee that's doing a bang-up job, probably around 40, 50 people right now. And I thought, praise God. I'm not going to get into why I left there because I did take too much time, but I'm, I'm trying to tell you something here. Look at the average longevity of the previous pastors. You know, uh, find out if you can why the church is in the state that it's in. Thou hast the name that thou livest and art dead. Why? Why is it dying? You better find out before you get there. Because you might just be the one to put the tombstone over it. When you get to that question and answer part of the church is calling you, if they call you and you decide to take it, when you get to that question and answer part of the church is calling you, don't be afraid to tell them exactly where you stand on doctrine. I've heard preachers say, well, you just don't tell them everything at once. You better. You better, they better know right exactly where you're at. No surprises. This is what I are, and I ain't going to be nothing else. Amen. If they're way off base, you may want to pass it over. When you take a restoration church, number one, realize that these people are hurting. They are. They're hurting. You'll be amazed at how little they've been taught by previous pastors, and they need to hear the truth. I am shocked. Fellas, I am shocked at the churches I've preached in that are looking for pastors that have no biblical knowledge to speak of. I'm not the world's greatest, most educated biblical scholar, but bless God, you ought to at least know who David and Goliath is. Or were. Amen? I've been in churches, literally, I've been in churches where people didn't know that story. People need to be taught. Um, secondly, have a man in the church who's been there a while go with you to every former member or attendee one time. Try to find out why they left the church, and most importantly, find out if they're even saved. You might be shocked. <clears throat> when I took Victory Hill Baptist Church over in Chicago Heights, or Stager now, I took the only deacon I had. I said, we're going to go visit everybody that ever came to this church that's still in the area that you can find. I want to visit with them one time. We found about 30 different families that at one time went to that church, or 30 different people. 
And I would sit down and visit with them. Many of them weren't going to church anywhere. Some of them were going to some ecumenical church or, uh, or something other than Baptist. And in every case, not some, but in every case before I left, I got up and I said, Now, sir or ma'am, whatever the case might be, you don't know me and I don't know you. I'm not trying to insult you by asking you this, but may I ask you one final question? Well, sure, preacher. If you were to die right now, are you 100% sure you'd be in heaven when you die? Or do you have some doubt? And not one of those people that we visited could answer in the affirmative. Not one. Dr. Lee Robertson once said, the biggest problem in our churches in America is lost church members. I agree wholeheartedly. I agree wholeheartedly. Go back only if you're sure there's a chance to bring any of these folks back into the fold. The devil will put some people, the sons of Belial, if you will, in your path to waste your precious time for reaching others. You may wind up beating a dead horse with some people. They'll suck the life right out of you trying to get you to get them to come to church. Don't waste your time with them. Shake the dust from off your feet. Now let me say this. You can preach on any topic to your people and not offend them as long as they know you love them. These restoration churches haven't had preaching yet. That first church I got to, before I took the church, I was teaching school at Doc Hanks. And the former pastor of that church was teaching there as well. And he'd have me preach over there for him from time to time. That's how they got to know me. And when I accepted the church, he said, Now, Brother Castle, are you a patient man? Well, I said, Yes, sir, I'm, I'm a patient fellow. I am, sometimes. <laughs> and okay, and he, he, that's all he'd say. Every week, he'd say, Brother Castle, and we get closer to time, my first Sunday was going to be his last Sunday. We get closer to time for me taking the church. He married, he found some grass widow out of Georgia, and he married her. She's a vice president of a bank. And he was going to move away. He said, now, Brother Castle, he said, are you sure you're a patient man? I said, Brother, I said, what's the problem in the church that you need me to be so patient about? Well, he said, we got a young couple in the church, the deacon's daughter, that's living in sin with a man and they have a child. I said, no problem, I'm patient. I can deal with that. Well, then he, man, he thought I was really going to blow up. Didn't say a word. We had our his going away Sunday and my first coming Sunday. And that following Sunday, we hadn't had a Wednesday night service yet because he canceled those. That following Sunday, Sunday school, I taught a lesson on fornication and adultery. Sunday morning, I preached and unloaded the truck on fornication and adultery. Sunday night, I preached on fornication and adultery, and one week's time, they went out and got married. Two months later, I met, I led that young man to the Lord. He was a Mexican fella. I led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. He came forward and said, Preacher, I need to get saved. He's still there, keeping that church going. Some of you probably know him. Jeremiah. Called me every year. Still does from time to time on his birthday. Preacher, it's my birthday. Well, happy birthday. No, no, I mean my spiritual birthday when you led me to Christ. He's more excited about that than he is anything else. Still. I asked Jerry, I said, Jerry, you've been in this church a long time. I said, why are you just now? Now listen to me carefully, fellas. If you don't get anything else I say, get this. I asked him, I said, why did you wait till now to get saved? Here's what he told me. He said, the other pastor didn't love me, but I know you love me. There's a difference between leading somebody to Christ and watching them live in sin. Most restoration churches are not able to take care of a pastor as they ought to. You need to look at their missions program. Now, fellas, if you take issue with me on that or your pastor's taught you decent, different, then you, you listen to him. I'm going to give you my... Opinion. Opinions are like armpits. Everybody's got a couple and they usually stink. Amen? Most restoration churches can't take care of a pastor as they ought to. They might be able to provide you with housing. And if that's the best they can do, praise the Lord. 
You need to review their missions program if they have one and consider cutting your missionaries until you're close to going full-time at the church. Now, I know I just shot somebody's sacred cow, but listen to me carefully. If you can't support Jerusalem, don't try to go to Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You are their most important missionary. Why should you support somebody else's pastor when you can't take care of your own? Now folks, I am a missions-minded pastor. I am big-time missions. But I don't believe in either starting a church or taking a restoration church. And what I did was I wrote to every one of the missionaries. I gave them each three months support, which was just a piddly, a pathetic amount back then. And explain the situation. Every one of them wrote back and understood. And appreciated the fact I gave them several months to make an adjustment in their budget. Don't just drop them like a wet sock. Many preachers' kids, now listen to me, many preachers' kids and wives have developed extremely bitter hearts due to churches taking care of missionaries while they didn't have their needs met. I've had a lot of them. When I, when I did that, I had one preacher's, matter of fact, it was a preacher that came out of that church in Stager. His daughter said, praise the Lord, preacher. She's one of the first ones to tell me. We did without so they could have. That's not right. That's not right. As soon as you are full-time, I highly recommend hosting a Faith Promise Missions Conference for your church. I did that at that church in a year and a half's time, and boy, I'm talking to giving just went through the roof. And God honored that. But they were able to take care of me first. The finances will skyrocket for the general fund as well as for missions. Make sure you get your timing right on that. Make sure that the man of God that's there is taken care of first. Let me say this. Stay until God moves you. God has prepared His man for His people, and He's prepared His people for His man. He may leave you in one place for 30 to 60 years. Wonderful! But He may use you to bring back churches that are teetering on the brink of death. No matter what type of ministry the Lord's called you to, whether staying at one church all your life or church restoration, stay until God moves you. I wanted to take a church and stay there forever. I soon found out the Lord had other plans for me. And by the way, In every case, listen to me carefully, you men that are married, listen to me carefully. In every case where I took a church, the Lord made it significantly clear to both me and my wife that this was where He wanted us. We both knew together, almost at the same time, that this is what God wanted us to do. I turned down a church in Dewajack, Michigan that ran about 60 to 70 people. A well-established church had their own churchyard out in the middle of the most beautiful part of the country you could find. They wanted me to come up there and candidate, but this church down there in Rome City with five people in a rented pole building, God said, this is it. And He told us both. Let me be perfectly clear, as our illustrious president would say, I do not approve of church-hopping preachers. I really don't. Poor poor Jerry Ross was preaching for me, and boy, I mean, he was waxing eloquent, and he started in on something about these preachers at church-hopping, and it dawned on him that I hadn't been in the same church that long. He kind of bit his lip, backed up about four steps, and didn't know what to say then. I just smiled at him. You know, a lot of preachers belong to a Church of the Month club. When we were in Goshen for a, for a year's period between Rome City or between uh, Chicago Heights and Rome City, I preached at a small Baptist church, supposedly independent Baptist, off and on for them. They called a pastor. They didn't want me. I was too too conservative for them. They called a pastor in. Good man. He was all right. I mean, I liked the guy, and I tried to help him out. He told me we went to fellowship one time together, and he told me he says, you know, Brother Castle, this was an older man back there in his sixties. He said, I've been in the ministry 30-some years. He says, I've never, I've never been in a church over a year. He said, I don't understand it. Something wrong with that. You know what? There's, there's a lot of reasons for these church hoppers. I, I'm not going to get into that. I don't even care about that. 
What I'm saying is there is a difference in a church-hopping preacher and one whom God will use in restoring those that hast a name that thou livest and art dead. All of us, and if there's a preacher in here that hasn't yet, other than you young guys that haven't been in it long enough yet, if a preacher, if there's a preacher in here has been in the ministry any length of time, hasn't got frustrated enough to want to chuck it all and head to the Northwoods, let me know. I'd like to know how you did it. You get those times, but you don't quit. You stay with it until God moves you. Now, I want you to notice when the Lord pronounced them dead, He said to them again, Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. That tells me that there's a few of them out there that probably will die. I have seen some die. But there are still some out there that you can win a lot of folks to Christ and you can do a work with them. You can go on and build. I mean... It blesses my soul to see some of the churches I were with that have had building projects. Brother Dunshee up north is wanting to start a stick building program up there because the building they're in is way too small. Uh, Brother Rawhouse didn't do it, but the church at Victory Hill has built on a nice big auditorium over there. And I like seeing things like that because it tells me that there was some that needed what we had. They needed what we had. And simply all we had was just the Word of God. That's it. Nothing fancy, nothing nothing spectacular about Allen Castle. Brother, if you want to humble yourself, the first three years that I preached in Rome City, in Stager, Illinois, I recorded everything, and I'd go over there about 3 o'clock of the morning, put the tape in the CD player, turn the speakers on, just turn the lights on on the platform, and I'd sit out there in the dark and listen to myself. And my conclusion is, God, you have to be in this because I wouldn't sit and listen to this stuff. I mean, when you hear yourself the way your people hear you, brother, it'll teach you to preach. The devil has done all he can to destroy our churches in America. I'd say he did a good job. The devil's got a lot more character than most of God's people because he's much more diligent in his effort to destroy God's churches. But there are some. You may be called to that ministry, you may not. I haven't seen that many that are. But there are churches out there that live us and are dead. And to them, some of them, he says, strengthen the things that remain before they die. That's where the restoration ministry comes in. Good people out there, a lot of good people out there that wouldn't otherwise be there if somebody didn't take those churches and help them. I hope that helped you today. It's not normally preaching for me, but I just wanted to give you a little bit of my experience. I could stand up here for four more hours, but you're going to shoot me if I do that. So I'm going to get out of here. Amen. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. I pray today that you be with every man of God in here, every lady behind the man of God and every church member that's here. Father, I pray that you'd speak to us as only you can do. I hope we've helped with some information on restoration. Pray for Brother Angel as he comes to give us something on church planning, and I know it's going to be good. He's had a lot of experience with it. Father, please fill him with your words, wisdom, and power. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for that. That was a blessing. I tell you, uh, you know,